You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to the book of John. I'd like you to go there. If you don't have one with you and you're visiting with us, there's some in the chairs in front of you. I'd like you to turn to the book of John. And I'll read it for us, John 17, 1 through 5. Uh, as you're going there, John 17, 1 through 5, I think we have a picture from last week where we were. There it is. I had three turned in, and they all got the same picture. It was wonderful. Uh, this is from Weston. Uh, Turn this in to me. And Weston got it. We were talking about the bridge illustration. On the one side, the wages of sin is death. And on the other side, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we talked about us running the opposite way. And yet Christ, uh, by the Holy Spirit, coming, turning our eyes around to see Him, to see salvation, and to come to the Lord. So thank you, Weston, for turning that in last week. Let me read to you John 17, 1 through 5. Here, as we just look into the Word for a little bit this morning, as we're thinking about gifts of Christmas, and we're finishing up that series today. John 17, 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. This is before Jesus is crucified. The hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed." Let me pray for our time together in the Word. Lord, thank you for the reminder. Thank you for the children of this church. Lord, with their smiles and their fun. Father, just thank you for what we've remembered here this morning. That wise men came to worship the King of all kings. Lord, may we do that. May you guide us as we look at your Word in a few different places to hear from you. May your Holy Spirit work in our hearts that this Christmas our eyes are turned towards the giver of the gifts and that we would see you in all your splendor. And so guide our time in your word together. We're praying by the Holy Spirit, reveal to us what you've spoken by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you a question as we start, and thinking of gifts as we've been going through God's good and gracious gifts is, what is the greatest gift that God gives us? That's the question before us. What is the greatest gift that God gives to us? Perhaps it's His gift of love to sinners, or His mercy to those who turned against Him. Maybe it's the gift of His forgiveness of sins. Or his justification where he declares sinners righteous on account of Christ. Or maybe the gifts of God through the Spirit. 
These are all wonderful. They're precious gifts. And we've even looked at three, as I said, this season. We've looked at Scripture and the gift of seeing Christ in the Word and this gift preserved to us through the years and the gift of the Spirit that God has given to dwell with us, the Holy Spirit. We looked last week, the gift of eternal life. Not just life forever, but in Christ, life. But if you had to boil it down and you asked, what is the greatest gift God gives to us, how would you answer? Some of you that were in the Sunday school class looking at the book, God is the Gospel, have some idea of where I'm going with this. And this comes, this sermon somewhat loosely from the book entitled, God is the Gospel by John Piper. And he asks this penetrating question to me and to you. And so let me read. It's a rather extended quote, but I'll read it and see if you can follow what he's asking. Here's his question. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Penetrating question. Heaven in all its glories, no sickness, but what if Christ was not there? He goes on in his book later on to say, all the saving events and all the saving blessings of the gospel are means of getting obstacles out of the way so that we might know and enjoy God most fully. Propitiation, redemption, forgiveness, imputation, sanctification, liberation, healing, heaven, none of these is good news except for one reason. They bring us to God for our everlasting enjoyment of Him. If we believe all these things have happened to us, but do not embrace them for the sake of getting to God, they have not happened to us. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we've not been converted by the gospel. A bit penetrating? What's he saying here? He's laying out this idea that the gifts of God are the means of God to bring us to God Himself. Say it again. The gifts of God, what He gives, we've studied all Scripture, Holy Spirit, uh, the Word, salvation, all these things, the gifts are the means to bring us to God Himself. That's what the gifts do. We're going to look um, in your bulletin, if you have one, you have four passages listed there. Um, I'm going to skip over Psalm 27. You can look that up. It talks about David seeking the face of God. But we'll look at the last three of these, where we're at in John 17. Just to say, okay, where... How can we say it with gifts? And they're precious. All of them are important. But they're not gifts in and of themselves. They're gifts to bring us to God. And so where do we see, do we see this in Scripture? Is God Himself the greatest gift of the Gospel? And hopefully in these passages 
we're going to see the centrality of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look just briefly at each one, and we'll start in John 17 where we just read in the Gospels. This section, if you're still there, in John 17, 1, the ESV calls it the high priestly prayer. It's a prayer, a prayer of Jesus. It's a prayer of Jesus to his Father for his disciples. And by God's grace, we have a prayer of Jesus recorded for us in the Scriptures. And we've read it already. You've seen parts of it. Uh, Jesus lifts up his eyes. He's talking about asking, Father, glorify your Son that I might glorify you. You've given him authority to give eternal life to all whom you've, you've given him. And in verse 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you. And now, Father, at the end there, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. It's a passage on glory and eternal life. There's the work of the Father, the work of the Son, the work of the Holy Spirit, it's a work of glory, of God's glory and His praise and worship. Uh, verse 3 really boils down to us the essence of eternal life. We think of what's eternal life. Jesus gives it to us here. It is, there is forgiveness. There is justification. But the essence of eternal life is knowing the only true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Knowing them. So believing and receiving and repenting and seeking, they all funnel down to knowing God Himself. Uh, time doesn't allow us here to look at the, the I am statements of the book of John. There's seven of them as you go through, and I can give you the reference later, but I'm just going to list them out for you. As we think of this centrality of Christ to the gospel, that everything is funneled towards Him, think of His I am statements that He says in John. Think of Christ being at the center, the, the, the greatest gift of the gospel. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. You see all things leading to the glory of Christ. The gospel the gift of God of eternal life, it's centered on Jesus Christ, the great I Am. Jesus says elsewhere in John 14, I am in the Father, and the Father in me. So I want you to turn further. We're, just, we're working our way towards the end, really, of the New Testament, but head to the book of 2 Corinthians. And you can go to uh, chapter 3, verse 16. We're looking at three of these passages. John 17, eternal life, knowing God, knowing Jesus Christ, head to 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, we'll look at 16. We'll start there. We want to see that to worship God, to know God, to seek His face is to seek the face of Christ. A little context as you're turning to these different passages and places. Paul, in the 2 Corinthians 3, and I'll start at 16, but some of the context, he says there was a certain glory in the days of Moses. Uh, in the giving of the commandments. Back when they had left uh, their slavery in Egypt, the commandments were given. There was a certain glory. Moses' face had shined. It shone when he had been with God. There was a shining. But Moses would veil his face before the Israelites, kind of a cover over his face. 
And I think the law alone there could not lift the veil to see the glory. There's a certain glory on Moses' face that he had been with God, but there's a veil. And this law, just the commandments in themselves, could not lift the veil to see the glory of God. Remember last week we talked about it's the Spirit that gives life. The wages of sin, blindness, death, spiritual death, physical death. Then Paul says in verse 16, 2 Corinthians 3, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I don't think this is meaning there's freedom to sin again. When, when you turn to the Lord, and the, where the Spirit of the Lord is, you've got freedom to do whatever you want. No, there's a freedom now from our bondage, our slavery to sin, in order to freedom to behold. Look at the next verse. There's a freedom to behold. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Those with unveiled faces behold God's glory and they're, they're transformed. As John Piper would say in his book, God is the Gospel, we talk about uh, beholding is becoming. What we look at, what we behold is what we become. Kind of like the, our phrase of you are what you eat. And we don't, if you eat an apple, you don't become an apple, but you, you get the idea. You are, you are more probably, I'll agree, you're healthier if you eat an apple uh, as opposed to just cinnamon rolls all day, though they were really good. And, but those don't make, you eat those all day, you kind of become like a cinnamon roll. So you get the idea. We behold, we become what we behold, what we look to. So for us, what do we look to? What do we worship, ourselves or the Savior? And the call here in this verse uh, uh, 18 here, Second Corinthians 3, is to behold the glory of the Lord. And by doing so, <clears throat> to be transformed and changed. And this comes from the Spirit. And then Paul says, <clears throat> and hopefully this will make sense as we look now, I'm just going to read chapter 4, just 1 through 6. Think about the veil, where the gospel leads us to. Now it says this, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. And we say amen to that. Here's what we proclaim. Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. And then verse 6, for God who said, Think of creation. Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
Psalm 27, David talks about, and you can look it up later, talks about, your face, Lord, do I seek. That's what I want. It's better to dwell in your house. That's where I want to be. I want to be with you. And the face of the glory of God is the face of Jesus Christ. He said to Philip in John 14:9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so God shines in our hearts by His Spirit to unveil the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we see light now, not to celebrate, hey, I got light, I love this light, I look at this light, but the light shines so that we can celebrate Jesus, so that we can see Jesus. I want to take you to one more passage, and it's pretty much at the end in Revelation 21. I'd like you to turn to Revelation 21, <clears throat> verse 22. Eternal life, knowing Christ. Transformation, beholding Christ. Face of God in Christ. And the end, Revelation 21, 22. John here writing this book. By the inspiration of God, he sees a new heaven, a new earth. City of Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven, the city of really God's people, I believe the church. And I want you to see what characterizes this, this end time city, if you will. What characterizes this place? And look as we read. Uh, I'll start in Revelation 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then let me read the next section. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What lights this end time forever city of God? It's the glory of God and the Lamb. Where does this river of life come from? It comes from the throne of God and the Lamb. In Genesis, the garden that was destroyed by sin, in Revelation, there's a new garden. There's life, and it's in the Lamb. And what will the servants of God and the Lamb be doing? Worship. 
They will be worshiping the Lamb. They will see His face, their names on their foreheads, and they worship Him. They see His light. The gift of the new heavens and the new earth is God Himself. He is the gift. And God dwells in its midst and His people will worship Him for eternity. We've been looking at these gifts and thinking about the good and gracious gifts of Christmas and, and these gifts. Uh, again, we've said it's, we're not, not encouraging, oh, you got gifts in the tree, throw them out because God's the greatest. But we let them lead us somewhere. Paul Tripp says this, Christmas is all about a gift. Say, yeah, we see that a lot of places. And then he says this, and the gift is the giver. Christmas is all about a gift. And the gift is the giver, the one who gives the gift. Is Tristan back in here? Tristan, come on up here. I picked these kids at random because at some point they've turned in. You can start opening this gift and see what's in there for everybody to see. They've turned in drawings throughout the year or whenever it's been, and I pick out a name, and Tristan's came up today. I asked Tristan if he'd come up and open this and See if you can rip into this gift. What can you find in there? I bet it's in there. There's something in there? <laughs> Come here, Tristan. Come over here. What is that? It's a light, isn't it? We've been talking about light today. It's a lamp or a light, kind of to represent light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me will not walk in darkness. We want to look to the light. It's, it's a reminder of looking to the light of Christmas, not to the gifts. The gifts point somewhere. When we're opening gifts under the tree, we can enjoy those gifts we can sing carols and see candlelight. I love it. I, I love candle. I like seeing that light. But it's, it's to take us somewhere. It's not to put out all the candles. The lights remind us of Jesus, who is the light of the world that we serve. Thank you, Tristan. Those who follow Jesus will have the light of life. So what do we do if we see God as the greatest gift of the gospel? Two things. They're on the bottom of your notes there. One is we worship. We worship God alone. The, the giver gets the glory. Okay? The giver gets the glory. The one who gives the gifts, salvation, sanctification, the Spirit, the Word, the giver of those things, God gets the glory. And we say, thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship Him. We enjoy all of His wonderful gifts, but they lead us back to the praise of the giver. And number two, we walk in Christ-like obedience. There is a walking, there is an obedience, and it's Christ-like because we remember that phrase, we become what we behold. As we behold Christ, as we worship Christ, we become Christ-like. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love, I praise, I worship Jesus. Yes, I'm a worshiper of Jesus. Then keep his commandments and obey and live out this life. So as we worship and savor Christ, we become Christ-like. 
And we worship Him in hearing His Word. We come here to hear His Word. As I said this morning, we read the Word throughout the year. We worship in obedience, sometimes doing what's really hard because it's what Jesus asks us to do. Or we worship in prayer or seeking God. And we walk by the Spirit and we're led by His gracious Spirit through His Word to live for the glory of Christ. May He be that central focus that when you get to heaven and all the glorious things of heaven, you say, oh, I see His face now. I see Him for who He is. Let me pray for us. Father, we're, we're in an area today and a topic of worship. An area that we know each of our hearts is prone to wander. But in your song, the song we sang today, Far As the Curse is Found, there is forgiveness as we come back to you. Lord, lead us to worship you. Father, lead us to see you this Christmas in the gifts, in the candlelight, in the songs of this season, Lord, that the gifts we receive would take us back to worship the true giver of all good things. And you would be the focus of our worship. And we pray this in your name. Amen.